Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. If you've got your Bibles, Romans chapter 8, we're going to walk through this. And I, I, as I said, it was a praise break for Paul, right in the middle of everything he's writing. He's, we're halfway through the book of Romans at the end of chapter 8. And it's like he just stops and give us, gives us this praise. And when I read this, maybe it's just because of the season we're in, but it almost seems like a pep rally, okay? Uh, we just started football season. There's uh, volleyballs going on, cross country, all these things. There's, a, there, there's this kind of uh, college football. Everything is, uh, yesterday, in fact, I was right in the middle of, of a football game. The coach comes on at halftime, and they, they showed, they went to the locker room, and he gives them this speech, and he says, you can do this, and all this kind of, and you see these guys, yeah, right? Okay, that's what I feel is happening in Romans chapter number 8, starting in verse number 31. It's Paul is just overcome almost by what, is, what he's been saying, and he gives us this idea, and here's how he starts, verse 38 and verse 31, and our whole theme, obviously, for today is, if God is for you, And we're going to talk about that. Look how he begins this verse again, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? Let's stop there. What are the things that he's talking about? He's going to say, what can we say about all this? You know, what what more can we add? Or what what other, the things he's talking about, depending on how you look in context, he could be talking about the verses right before that we looked at even last week. The fact that because of, because of Christ, because of, of who we are, God is, God is at work in our lives and there's nothing that, that is going on except he takes it, works it for good. He's going to justify, he's going to glorify, all those things. But, but I think you could also move back, maybe the whole book of Romans, but specifically back to chapter number 5 because he repeats some of the same words. And he talks about we have, we have uh, justified by faith, we have peace with God, we're not condemned we have, uh, we're a child of God. We have all of that in us. And all of these things now coming together, he says, what, can we, what more can we say after all of this stuff? What, after all these things, what can we say? And here's how he summarizes. If God is for us. Okay, you've you got to just stop and chew on that for a moment. H- have you thought about what that means? If God is for me. If God is for us, the fact that the word if is not one of those, you know, possibility type words. It's literally the word that could very easily be translated because, because God is for us. It's not a matter of will he be for us, but based on what we know of, of Christ and what he's done for us, he, we know that this is, a, this is a matter of fact. In the moment of if God is for us. What we know from this four in this, in this chapter, if you remember the first, we're going to look at it at the end of this, the end of this passage, and we also saw it in the first verse, this whole idea of, of those who are in Christ, those who are in Christ Jesus, that's how it begins and how it ends, all those who are in Christ, he's saying if God is for us, all of us, because if you're in Christ, he's on your side, use whatever cliche you want to use, he's in your corner, if God is in that place in your life, just think about what that could mean. I have to give you a personal, personal understanding. In May of 1973, this became a reality in this man's life. 
as a boy, I realized I was a sinner, that I needed a Savior. I bowed my knee and I said, God, I'm a sinner. Save me. I believe you died and rose again for me. And at that moment, I was put into Christ and I am now permanently, forever, this God is on my side. It started that day. I've got a question. When did it start for you? Have you had one of those days when you know from this point on, there's a lot of stuff that's happened in the past, oh, what is it, 10 years now since I've been saved? Whatever, there's been a lot that's happened. Has all of, do you understand, in all this time and forevermore, God is on my, God is for me. When when did that begin for you? That's how powerful this this really is. What Paul's going to do in these next few verses, he makes his statement about understanding God is for us. And then he's going, to, he's going to, to clarify and emphasize it with a series of questions. Four, we call them rhetorical questions. By that we mean they're questions that are not necessarily looking for an answer. He's just, he's just moving on the thought of what he's trying to say and helping to emphasize the point of God is for us. Because the, the answers are very simple. I mean, we could give a very simple answer, but the reality is so much bigger. And he wants us, I really think he wants it to, us to think about what these questions are. So let's, let's walk through those. There's this... That what we understand, if God is for us, what he's telling us is there is a battle going on. There is a war. There is a spiritual war going on around us and, and in, because in the, the life of believers. And there's this, what, the side that you're on makes all the difference in the world. Whatever, whatever. And so what he's doing, he's presenting a defense of the security that we have in God. He's telling us well, there is a battle going on here, but I want you to know as God's kids in Christ, there is a, you, you want to talk about a defense system around us. The threats are real. There's someone's trying to destroy us. There's an enemy out to get us, all of these kind of things, but there is a security. Someone would love to steal your salvation if they could. Someone would want to take the peace and the joy. Someone wants the, something wants to take away what God has given you. And so God in these verses is going to say, but let me just show you how secure you truly are if you are in Christ Jesus. And he's going to use these next few verses to tell us what that, what that looks like. He goes on, he starts this way, if God is for us, what's the ramifications of that? Let me finish this verse. If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, he, didn't, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Here's the first question. If God is for you, who can be against you? Now again, the, the answer is simple. Well, okay, I get it, nobody. That would be the answer. But he says, but he asks it in such a way as he wants you to think about this. Who is it in your life do you ever give credit for that maybe is, is, is causing the, the issue? Who could get to us? Who wants to get to us? And what his point is this, how big would they have to be if God is on your side? How big would they have to be to get to you? Think about that. How powerful would they have to be if God's on your side to, get, to, make, to make a mess out of your life? How powerful would they have to be? I remember as uh, I was in college Went to visit my nieces and nephews. We went to a public pool. My one nephew at this point, I don't know, he was 10, 12, something like that. And he, uh, he was, wasn't, real, he wasn't real confident in himself. And, and, he's kind of th- and I, I noticed that he wanted to go on the high dive, and he never went there. He just was kind of, and I knew he wanted, he'd talked about wanting to go on the high dive this whole time. He never could. So I kind of went and I said, hey, bud, what's up? And he said, oh, nothing. Well, I saw some kids 
making fun of him. He was not, you know, a little awkward and that kind of stuff and making fun of him and the big splash he'd make and all this kind of stuff. And he said, I, don't, I just don't want to do it, Uncle Steve. I said, tell you what, Byron. I said, you just, you just go up there and just, just follow me. So he gets, he gets to the bottom and I said, now, dude, if anybody wants to mess with you, they got to come through me first. Now, I was just hoping he'd have a big brother or something over on the side. I was just hoping, but it worked out because he went up and down that slide for all the rest of the day because if, if Uncle Steve is for you, then which one of these pipsqueaks is against you? Think about that. If God, the creator of the universe, the almighty who made everything and holds it all in place, if he is for you, hmm, who could be against you? That's the point he's wanting to, he wants us to just chew on that thought of how big it is. Think about it. who could it be? Well, the people he's writing to, maybe they would think in their head, well, these the people trying to kill us. They were actually being persecuted. The Jewish leaders wanted them taken out. And now it's moving into these people are in Rome. And the guy that basically we, we understand that when this was written, there was a guy on the throne named Nero. Does that sound familiar? Nero wasn't a real friend of Christians. And before long, they're going to be, they're, they're threatened, their lives. So they're, maybe they're thinking, well, maybe that could be it. Maybe it's someone that's trying to take our lives. Then there was people who didn't like the gospel, and they didn't like what they were saying. This is too narrow. This is too, to say Jesus is the only way and all this. And so they, they, they were ostracized. They were taught, and maybe it's those people that could, 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 could stop us. And then you have the, the religion still today does some, some of the same stuff. It's, it's a matter of, okay, Jesus is all right, but you've got to have this and you've got to have that. Maybe it's something, it's, it's, it's error. What if, maybe there is something. Who is it that could stop us here's the point if God is for you then none of those things can be against you none of those things can stop you not because you're anything but because of who's on your side if God is for you who can be against you here's what he does look what he with that question he counters it with this answer since God gave up his son for you don't you know that he's going to give you everything graciously give you all things Think about this. If God took the ultimate sacrifice, gave his son for you, that no one, nothing would ever do that, but he loved you enough as his enemy, someone who posed, and yet he let his son die in your place, don't you think that if he was willing to go to that extent, that he's going to do something to protect you and to keep you safe? If he was willing to give his son don't you think he's going to give you? And he uses the word graciously, which means freely given. It's a word we get our word grace from. It's the idea he gave you this free. Don't you think he's going to take care of you and give you everything you need to grow as a Christian, to be what you need to be? Absolutely. Why? Because if God is for you, who could ever be against you? Look at the next question, verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Or in other words, second question is this, who can accuse you? Okay, you're, you're not perfect, I get it, but who has, who has the ability and the right to accuse you? Now, the simple answer, again, is no one, but let's, he's asking this for us to think. Let's think through, who might be accusing you right now? Let's think about that. Well, we know, for instance, and we was in one of the songs earlier, Satan has several names in the Bible. One of his key names is he is the accuser of the brothers and sisters in Christ. 
what Satan's job right now is, is to just throw accusations. Did you see? Could you, can you believe that him and his cohorts to just accuse God's people before God's throne? That's what God does. So it, Satan's pretty big, powerful. So if the accuser sees and, and takes you, so is he willing to accuse you? Is he able to accuse you? Let's, let's keep on going. We think about the, the, the religious people we talked about, right? So they're going to accuse you. You didn't keep that law. You're not doing, you're not living up to the right standard. You don't have all this together. You're not worth it. You're, you're not worthy to stand it. You have the people accusing you. I know some people who, when they knew that you came to Christ, they were a little skeptical. I've actually heard people recently say, I don't, yeah, maybe that works for other people. That person, that's, they're never going to change. So they're accusing you based on what they know about you. You, you just can't, it's not going to work for that guy or that woman. If you knew what they did, so you've got these accusations. And let's not forget our own selves. What if we're going along in this Christian life and we do something so harebrained and stupid, at what point is God going to say, I've had enough of you and kick us out? What, is there anything that could accuse us, including ourselves? Who could accuse us before the Almighty God? Look what he does. He justifies it with two with two very simple words, God justifies. It is God who justifies. Can anybody accuse you? Well, let's think about it. We just read Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There's no condemnation. Chapter 5 and verse 1, there, that we are justified, which means because of Jesus Christ, you are declared not guilty. Nobody can accuse you. No person, no demon, no, no power, no person who doesn't believe in you, even your own self. There is no accusation that's going to stand because God has already justified you. And the very simple definition is just as if I'd never sinned. When God sees me, he doesn't see all of my junk. He sees justified across me. Romans 5.1, we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christians, has this truth gripped you yet? Has this got a hold of your soul yet? That, uh, no, that your past, you're born again, you're a child of God. When God looks at your past, when God looks at your present and your future failures, you know what he sees? Justified. Declared not guilty. Jesus took our sin, and now we stand right with a holy God from now and forever. Does that, does that just overwhelm you at some point? From all of that he's saying is simply you are justified with God. No one can accuse you. The third question kind of pigtails on the, on the second one. Verse 34, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. If no one can accuse you, then no one can also condemn you. Who can condemn you? Who can say, well, you're just, if that's what a Christian is, then you're out. Of, who, I'm, how, who could condemn you? If they can't accuse you, how can they condemn you? His point is very clear that through Jesus Christ, all the satanic religious leaders, all the skeptical people, even my own conscience, when my conscience starts going and saying, you are a mess, you are, and, I, and you know it, everybody else knows it, you did, you're not perfect, you're, a, you're just, you, and, and so my own conscience is one of my worst condemners to say, you're just not worth it, you don't deserve it. Who can say you're a Christian? He says, if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. Who can condemn you? 
Some of you would say, well, if, God, if you knew what I have done, here's the thing. God does know what you've done. And God knows what you will do. And God knows who you are. And if you are in his son, who can condemn you? Jesus took your condemnation when he died on the cross. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The simple answer, and he actually gives it, who can condemn you? No one. But then he tells us why. Look at this. Don't, don't miss it. And it's all about Jesus. Jesus died, and he was raised to life. He became sin so that we could become right with God. And then he raised to life so that we could have everlasting life. So we know it's in, it's in Jesus, no condemnation. But then look what he also says. And he, here's what Jesus did, but now look what Jesus is doing right now. He is right now, currently, at the right hand of God. I want you to think about that. What does that mean? Well, there's two, at least two things. One is it's a position of, of exaltation. Jesus is sitting now where he deserves to be. His name is exalted above every name. He stands there. All knees will bow because of who he's standing at the right hand of God. He's in that position of authority. But it's also, the Bible tells us, it's also a position of something being completed. It's showing there's something permanent has happened. Let me explain why. In the Old Testament, when they built the temple and the tabernacle, they had a lot of furniture. But if you'll look through, you'll not see anywhere where they made chairs for the priests in the tabernacle. There were no chairs. In all, they had tables. They had altars. They had no chairs. You know why? Because the priest's job was never done. The priest was constantly, everybody sinned. There always had to be another sacrifice, another sacrifice. The priest's job was continuous. So they never sat down. So listen to Hebrews chapter 10, speaking of Jesus. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins... He sat down at the right hand of God. What it means is when Jesus died, that was all the sacrifice that was needed. That was only, there was not to be any more. He doesn't have to die again. It's all done. And so he sits down because forgiveness is complete. And your forgiveness is complete. Jesus said there's no condemnation. And Paul said because Jesus is at the right hand saying he's forgiven. She's forgiven. It's done. It's complete. It's over. I, I know I, this is speculation, but it's as if the accuser would go before the, king, the throne of heaven and say, did you see what Steve did? And, and again, it's speculation, but it's, a, it's as if, based on this, that Jesus says, first of all, accuser, sit down and shut up. That's just my thought. I just throw that in there. But secondly, he says, Father, he's got my name on him. He's justified. He's not condemned. He's one of ours. I took his condemnation, and I'm sitting here as a, as a proof of fact that his sins are forgiven, and I'm sitting in the position to complete that. In fact, Hebrews 7.25, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives. And, and I love this because he said not only is he at the right hand, but he's interceding for us. We talked about the Holy Spirit last week, praying for us when we need help. Jesus now in this, con our sins are, are no condemnation, but we're still in this life. We're still running through it. We're still going to mess up. So what does Jesus do? He stands in the presence of the Father, and he, he speaks our name to the Father. He intercedes on our behalf because of what he has done for us. Who could ever possibly take our salvation? Who, what could ever take us away from God if God is for you? Who can, can accuse you? Who can condemn you? Who could be against you? And then to wrap it up, fourth question, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Think about this. If God is for you, who could ever separate you from his love? Who could ever take his love and, and put a wedge in between there? One of my favorite mental pictures that Jesus painted is in John chapter 10, verse number 28 and 29, where he talks about our salvation, and he says, I give them eternal life, they shall never perish, love that, but then he paints a picture, look at this, no one will snatch them out of my hand, and my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. You want to talk about the love of Christ and what Jesus did for us, and so he says, just let me, let me just paint you a little picture. It's as if I take you, when I save you and I, I take away your condemnation and I, I put you in the palm of my hand and I wrap my hand around you. Wow, that's safe. But he said, but let me take that one step further. And then my father takes his hand and it puts it over mine. If God is for you, God's got his hands wrapped around you, somebody in this room, tell me who's going to get in there. Who can get to you? Who can be against you? Who can condemn you? If you're in the hands of Jesus, who is in the hands of the father, who, who can separate you from the love of God? Are there any circumstances? We talked, we, we talked about the, the, some of the people. What about the circumstances? If, and here's, here's what the enemy will try to do. It, it, he knows he can't separate you, so what he wants to do is, is cast a doubt. Is it possible that, that at some point God doesn't really love us anymore? Or that God's care is not real for us anymore? When we're going through tough things... We are tempted sometimes to say, boy, if God really loved me, why would he let me go through this? Don't forget, who can separate you from the, you're in his hands, wrapped by his hands. Is anything going to separate you from, we go through circumstances and we wonder, where is God? And God says, I'm right here, wrapped around you. Nothing is going to separate you from my love. Nothing can take that away. Nothing in, in all of this. And he says, he says, who can separate you, which could mean what. It's, this word could be used either way. So maybe he's just using what circumstances. But he also could be talking about actual who's, people in life, like we're talking about, those who persecute or whatever. That, look at the words he uses. Can trouble or hardship? Trouble means when you're squeezed. Hardship means when you're put into a confined space as if the world is crushing in and people are crushing in. Can that take God's, does that mean God's not loving you anymore? Or persecution, suffering, and famine that comes with it, even nakedness as if you're destitute and I don't think I have anything left or danger or sword. The tactic of the enemy is now he can't take you away from God's love so he wants you to doubt it. Does God really love you? God, if you love me, why? And God is saying, don't forget, nothing can separate you from my love. You are in the palm of my hand, in the palm of my son's hand. And in fact, he quotes a psalm, verse chapter 44, yet for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. He's trying to tell us, and Jesus repeated the same thing. Christians, please don't ever forget the fact that you live in a sin-cursed world. Suffering is part of the human experience and as a Christian, suffering is going to be a part, sometimes even ramped up persecution and suffering. So don't be, don't be alarmed. Don't think, oh, something's wrong. God doesn't love me. Because he says nothing can separate you from the love of God. No matter who you are or what you've gone through, if you are in Christ, nothing can separate you. God so loved the world that he gave his son. 
Jesus laid down his life for you, put you in his hand, nothing's going to separate you from that love. Nothing. Four questions. Think about it. If God loves you, if God is for you, sent his son to die for you, took away all accusations, silenced all condemnation, and now says that my love for you is indivisible, it will stay with you forever. If God is for you. Think about that. So what Paul does as we wrap up this passage is he takes those four questions and then from those he lists some declarations. Some things that he can now say because of all of this that I know to be true. If God is for me, nothing can be against me. I know he's, he's for me. So with that in mind, here's some declarations that I can make. And right in the middle of these declarations is, are three little words. I am convinced. I am certain. I am sure. There is no doubt in my mind. I am confident. I am persuaded, your version might say. Here's the foundation. And let me read it for you again. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, nor pre- the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Again, the key is that phrase, in Christ Jesus, the last thing. It's all about Christians, all these things we're saying. If you're across this room, you say, thank you, I want to hear that about God, but you've got to make sure you understand. It's if you are in Christ Jesus, is all of this true? And in fact, this phrase, he adds two extra words, in Christ Jesus, our Lord, which means a couple of things. One is, Jesus is who he is. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He deserves our worship. But he also says that by Lord, it means if he is Lord, then I should obey him. I should follow him. He, and he actually puts that, that personal pronoun, he is our Lord. He is not just a Lord, he is mine, he is, he is ours, he is personally connected to us, and if he is personally connected to us, then we have no accusation, there's no one that can stand against us, we have no condemnation, we'll never be separated if we are in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, I've, I've personalized these, these declarations, and my hope is today you take these home, and sometime throughout this week... I would challenge you every day to start your, maybe start your day with these three simple declarations. Because if you are in Christ, this is you. If you know that you are in Christ, these are your words. These are what you can say based on who God is and what he has promised. And, 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 and you can be as convinced as Paul was if you are in Christ, this is what we have to say. So I personalized them. And the very first one is simply this. I am more than a conqueror. Say that with me. I am more than a conqueror. Say it again. I am more than a conqueror. If you are in Christ, that's you. Paul says we are more than conquerors. My question is, are you convinced of that? Paul was convinced. Are we? Do we live as if we we truly are? To conquer means to win or to gain victory. I get that. I believe that we will win. I believe that we, you know, that kind of, it's, we know that to be true. But this is an interesting word. More than conquer is actually one word. And, and the word, the, the, the word conquer is in there, nikao. But there's a word before it, a prefix, if you would. And it's the word we pronounce it, hooper. You could say super, because what he's literally saying is you are a super conqueror. You're not just the conqueror. It's not that you're just going to win. You're going to wipe out the competition. 
The, the competition has nothing. In fact, it's not going to be a win. It's going to be a rout. It's going to be, they're not even going to be willing to, to, they're going to crawl off the field. You're more than a conqueror is the word that he uses. It's, the, the, it's a blowout. The opposition doesn't even stand a chance. There is no chance that you will lose. You are a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. That's what his words said. And, and here's, here's the truth. For instance, we've, I think we've talked about this before. If, if you record a football game, you want to watch it. And it happens on Sunday, and the preacher preaches long, so you don't get the whole game. So you record it. Okay, I get that. But then somebody, somebody in the audience who you just want to take and knock them in the head tells you what the end of the, the score is before you get to watch it. You go, no, no. Okay, so now you sit down. You say, I'm going to watch it anyway. And you start watching. And you go through, and the team is doing horrible the first quarter. They're doing horrible the second quarter. I mean, they like, they're down by 12 at halftime, and you're thinking, this is horrible. But wait. I know how this ends. Third quarter, they don't look much better. And then suddenly the fourth quarter, they seem to to rally. And they're getting back and you're getting excited because you know how this ends. You know where this is going. You already know the final score. That's what he's saying to us. You are more than a conqueror. You already know the end of the story. Jesus died for you. You have no accusations. You have no condemnation. You are secure in the hands of God who's who's got your life. You're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ if you're in Christ Jesus, our Lord, more than a conqueror. Declaration number two, nothing will separate me from the love of God. Say that with me. Nothing will separate me from the love of God. Again, nothing will separate me from the love of God. Verse 35, he talked about some personal issues, persecution and things that that they kind of were concerned about. But now he gets it even more powerful. And we're talking about a broader things that when you talk about spoke, uh, scope of, of power, these things would make you think, ooh, if something could separate me, maybe these things would. So Paul does this very interesting thing in this writing. He compares extremes. And his point is this, from this extreme to that extreme and everything in between. And let's see if there's anything in there that can separate you from the love of God. Look what he says. Neither death nor life or anything in between. Neither angels or demons. All the supernatural forces and anything in between. Neither the present or the future that I don't know what's going to come. Nor any power that exists. Go from the height, the highest it could be to the depth, the lowest that it could be. Nor anything else in all creation. That's a very interesting phrase because you do realize everything he just mentioned is something that was created. All of those things had a beginning. They were created. It's temporary. Angels and demons have not always been. They were created. The, the future and the present, that's a time. It was created. He's saying, if, think about this. If I created it, then I am more powerful than it. If I made it, then I can defeat it. If I made it, then it can't be bigger than me. Death, life, height, depth, anything in all creation, nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you. One final declaration that I want you to think, consider. I am convinced that God is for me. I left you a space on there 
fill in your name. You're a child of God, blood-bought, washed saint of God. Put your name in there. God is for Every morning when you get up, God is for me. I'm one of his kids. God is for me. My sins are washed away. There's no condemnation. Nobody can accuse me. God is for me. Would you say it with me? And put your name in the blank. God is for Steve. Does that feel good? To think that your name attached to that sentence means that the God of the universe, because of your relationship with Christ, is for you. So I personalized the verse just a little bit. Romans 8, 31. If God is for me, who can be against me? In all these things, I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. I, he, he is for me. He loves me. I am more in a, in a, as a follower of Christ, you're in Christ, you're a disciple, you're a believer in Christ. This is your reality. I am more than a conqueror. Nothing will separate me from the love of God. God is for me. So the one question that, I, that I've been asking is, first of the week, I put this at the top of my page as I was thinking about it. Those are great truths, great statements to make, credible. What difference will that make in my life this week? What difference will you saying that, what, could, what possible difference could that make in your life? That's great, so what? What difference will it make in your nine to five work, your, your seven day week? What difference can these things make? If you're convinced, so what? That's, that's great. Let me give you a couple of words. Here's what I know. If I'm convinced of this, then I can trust that nothing can destroy, can hamper with, can bother, can do anything to affect the security that I have in God. Write down the word security. I have security in Christ, in my relationship with God. I am eternally forever secure. And God would say, as they say in State Farm, don't mess with my peace. Don't mess with my security. Because I, my security is not in me. It's not in me doing the right thing. My security is in Jesus Christ. Secondly, if I'm convinced of that, then fear can be immobilized in my life. Doesn't mean it goes away. Doesn't mean we don't have trouble. But I can actually put fear in its place. Fear is, 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 fear is real. Courage is when you go ahead and do it in spite of the fear. Put down the word courage. Here's what I get. If I'm convinced and I am secure that that nothing changes, I am more than a conqueror. Fear doesn't have to control me. And third, I can have confidence. And confidence begins infused in me. If I am more than a conqueror, then start living like it. If I'm more than a conqueror, start talking like it. Stop defeating myself. Stop telling how bad I am and how guilty and all those things. And I'm speaking to me. Stop saying those things. It's not true because you're more than a conqueror. And the confidence comes. It builds up. If God is for me, who can stand against me? you got some things this week are going to hamper you, some people that want to put you down, some things that want to stop you. Wait a second. 
God's on my side. You don't have anything to stand on. If God is for you, who can stand? If God is for you, then stand up. Stand strong. God says you're more than a conqueror. Confidence, not in me. Confidence in Jesus Christ who saved me, who gave his life. One last thing I want to give. There's a renowned pastor. His name's Charles Spurgeon. And I, I've got to end with this because it's very critically important. He took a twist on this thought, and he said this at the end of his talking about this. He said, but if God is against you, who can be for you? Boy, I had to stop and think about that. Here's the thing. We got, sometimes you don't think of it in that realm, but do you recognize that if you are not in Christ, then you're an enemy of God? If you're not in Christ, you don't have any of these things we've talked about. You don't have that peace. You don't have that security. You don't have that confidence and courage. The only way to have that hope and peace, to have that security, is if you are in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're not, then God literally, by definition of Scripture, is against you. You have set yourself up as his enemy. You're standing in your sins, but you don't have to stay there. Jesus Christ gave his life to forgive you of your sins, to put you in him, and to give you the ability to say, I am more than a conqueror. No one can accuse me. If you'll receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, it all starts there. Because if he is against you, what hope do you have? You have none, but in Christ, we are more than conquerors. We have all of the things that he has promised. So my question is, are you in Christ? For me, as of May 1973, I am in Christ, and there's no expiration date. Now and forever, I am in Christ. How about you? Are you in Christ? If you are, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Because if you are, I want us to say these three statements one more time together. And if you're in Christ, my prayer is that you'll say these with conviction. Say these with hope. And you'll put them down and you'll, you'll just make them a part of your routine. Because this is the reality for you. Followers of Christ, you're in Christ. Let's say these together. I am convinced that I am more than a conqueror. Nothing will separate me from the love of God. God is for me.